You've got a friend in me You've got a friend in me When the road looks rough ahead And you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed You just remember what your old pal said Son, you've got a friend in me Hello, welcome to T. Hanks for the Memories. I am your host, Darren, and today we're going to be covering the 10th of the Golden 14, as I am labelling them, uh, the 14, uh, I don't know, great films that Tom Hanks managed to do back to back to back. Uh, We are here with his first ever sequel, um, Toy Story 2. Uh, Unbelievable, he managed to get this far into his career without doing a sequel, Um, but those were the high standards he had. Uh, Toy Story 2 released in America on November the 24th, 1999. It didn't come out over here until uh, the 12th of February uh, 2000. And I know that because I still have my ticket from when I saw Toy Story. Uh, It made five times its budget back at the box office. It has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Everyone loves this film. 87% from the audience. 7.9 on IMDb. Um, It came out one year before the... uh, the Oscar for Best Animated Picture was available, uh, so unfortunately it could not win that, but I'm sure that if that existed in the year 2000, then it would have won. Um, Tom, of course, is getting top villain once again, sharing it with um, noted right-wing nutbag uh, Tim Allen as his co-star. Uh, joining me to talk about this today, I have Luke Allen. Hello, Luke. Hello. And I have Andrew and Kestra returning. Hello. Hello. And uh, as I do, I will just, I mean, I will tell you when I saw this, it was the 13th of February, the year 2000. It was at quarter past four in the afternoon. Um, I know this because I still have most of my cinema tickets. Um, In recent years, the quality of the tickets has declined. So sometimes, you know, I scan them in and there's nothing there. Um, but yeah, I, I distinctly remember seeing this with a couple of friends. Uh, we'd been waiting for it because obviously, you know, it'd been a few months since it'd been out in America. Uh, I saw Toy Story at the cinema as well, which obviously we have discussed in that episode. Um, and what happened to me afterwards was quite interesting. Before I saw the film, I had a uh, ice cream milkshake combination. And I remember this because a few hours later, I threw that up. Um, and <laughs> so about, I don't know, two hours after I saw the film and I got home, I was not feeling very good and then um, at the time I was living at my mom's she lives in a bungalow there is one bathroom she was in the bathroom I tried to get there to throw up Uh, she didn't open the door quick enough and I threw up all at the wall so I'm thinking something (laughs) I'm thinking that there was probably something in that milk that was not particularly in date um, because that was the only thing that I'd really had uh, prior to that Um, and that was the last time as an adult that I have thrown up so it has been 21 something years so that's that's uh, a good congratulations you're you're probably (laughs) due to be honest (laughs) well I'm I just make sure I stay away from any ice cream milkshake (laughs) combinations Um, so I will ask Andrew and Kestra if you remember the first time you saw this film at the cinema Um, if you can recall that specifically I can't I'm sure I'm sure I saw it at the theater I would have been, yeah. I would have been a kid, but but like well in the range of like okay, like let's go see Toy Story two, and so I'm sure I saw it in the theater, but I couldn't tell you, I I can probably estimate most likely which theater I went to, in in my hometown, but I can't remember any specifics about it. Um, just just being in the theater and like specifically, I think of the credits and and them having yeah. the blooper reel the animated blooper reel as part of the credits. 
I feel like I strongly remember that in the theater. And that's that's as clear as my memories get. And for me, I would have just... When it came out, I was about to turn five. My birthday's in December. And I was about to turn five. So I probably also saw it in the theaters. My sister would have been two years younger than me. Uh, but I, I can't rem- recall if I absolutely did or not. But I like Andrew, I, I also remember the... Especially Barbie at the at the end of the credits with being like, "Okay, can I stop smiling now?" <laughs> okay, and like I I remember that, and I feel like I can see it in the theater, like in my in my memories. But I'm not 100 if I saw it in the theater, but I know that I saw it at least when it came out on pretty early on. Yeah, pretty early on. Uh, now, Luke, obviously younger than everybody else on this podcast. So I don't think you were able to see this in cinemas. No, Do you remember the I first mean, time it, you it did was a, see you know, it? a successful film, but I think four years after its release, it probably was out of cinemas. Um, I had no idea you, the film. Real came quick out question: Do you? I don't know if other countries do this. Do other countries do dollars dollar theaters? Because no, something like really. this would have been in the dollar theater for a long time, in 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 the United States. And I remember seeing stuff, yeah, like like possibly years after it was released, you could still go see something at the Dollar Theater. Yeah, but I don't know, like I don't know if you guys have something equivalent to that. No, we don't. We don't really have the infrastructure big enough for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't have them anymore. Those are those have long since all collapsed. But we had one when we got married five years ago. We still ha- was that one still, open? and then it closed like oh, a year later. Okay. But um, but I didn't have one near me. But I've heard of them. I grew up in Virginia. My family run like a community center that pre-lockdown had like a cinema club once a month. That's mm-hmm. the closest it was. But it also meant that I half of the time got to choose a selection of films to watch in the cinema. So that was nice. <laughs> but um, no, yeah, I, the weird thing is I had no idea this film came out before I was born because I feel like when you're when you're little, you don't have like the, the concept of if you haven't seen it, or it, the fact that it already existed in a way. I've noticed this with a few movies recently where it's been like, I could have sworn that came out when I was five because that's when I first saw it. And it's like, nope, it was out way before. Had the same issue with Stuart Little 3. Um, but it was... My recollection is I loved the first Toy Story movie. Uh, had it on VHS. And, um, and then this one, a friend of my family, I believe, like, who used to kind of come and visit every now and again brought the dvd and we i thought we were like borrowing it and we watched it and loved it and then they were like oh by the way you can keep it so that that's my memory i'm like oh yeah free dvd and that's yeah and i think this is the the best toy story film and one of the best like film sequels i'd say it's only topped by paddington 2 which is one of my favorite films of all time uh but yeah i love this save 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 the judgments for the end luke let's keep people in suspense as to whether or not <laughs> as to whether or not you like the film, I had to bring um, up Paddington too. If there's, if there's a space for it, I've just got to mention it. It's uh, the history of the film is quite interesting because um, there was never going to be any sequels in Pixar's contract with Disney originally, um, and then they started development on this because obviously Toy Story was a phenomenon, and they were making so much off of the toys that they were like, we we need more stuff. Um, later, the, the the year that this came out over here, there was uh, the whole Buzz Buzz Lightyear TV series as well. Um, and I like that TV you series. Know, so, it's, yeah, it's, it so, is well, not absolute yeah, garbage. Know. It is like 
<laughs> there, there is fun stuff, and it's not like widely available now. No, well, uh, yeah, twenty years later. Um, but yeah, so you know, Disney would would kind of like saying to Pixar, we want we want a sequel. So Pixar set up a separate like entity away from the main building, which was busy working on a Bug's Life, um, to kind of come up with ideas for the sequel. Um, and then Disney saw the the kind of the first few reels that that um, Pixar had been working on, and they said, "Oh, we want to release this in the theater." Um, to which John Lasser said, um, "No, uh, <laughs> like our deal was for seven films, and uh, this is not part of that deal. So if you want it in the theaters, you're gonna have to change the deal somehow. You're gonna have to give us more money, give us a bigger percentage." Um, a, a kind of dispute broke out between uh, Michael Eisner. And Steve Jobs, who was back in John Lasseter at this particular point in time. Michael Eisner, of course, being a notoriously terrible person. John Lasseter being a slightly less terrible person. Um, and eventually, um, as part of the dispute, um, Walt Disney set up an entire separate animated studio called Circle 7. And they started working on their own Toy Story sequel. And they started working on uh, Monsters, Inc. 2. And they basically were trying to call the bluff of um, of Pixar. The whole contract dispute, of course, was resolved by the fact that Disney just bought Pixar, and <laughs> that was it. It's That's an easy way end, to, to end take of the care dispute. of that. It's like, well, if we just own <laughs> yeah. all of it, we can do whatever we want. Yeah. But at, at a particular point, there were there were there were rumors that like Warner Brothers or Sony or somebody else was going to step in and start distributing the films after the seven. Um, Disney films finished mm -hmm. um, so you know I mean it all got resolved in the end but it's kind of funny that this led and the, the funniest thing of all is uh, the original people who negotiated the contract f with um, Pixar to start distributing their films uh, was um, Katzenberg who of course left to mm -hmm. make to, yep. to join um, to make to make her uh, DreamWorks yep. And then Joe Roth, who, who, who himself left and created his own studio called Revolution, uh, mm. which in the summer of 2001 released the film America's Sweethearts, which, um, quite frankly, I got sick of seeing the promotion for because it was all over the place. Um, but yeah, so once those two guys left, they were left with Michael Eisner. And apparently Michael Eisner did not get on with anybody at Pixar. And it was a bit of a, a, bit of a dispute going on for a couple of years there until eventually they were just like, you know, have a few billion. Am I um, right that like some of the animation for Toy Story Two was either lost or really nearly lost? Ninety percent of it was accidentally deleted when mm -hmm. someone was doing some cleanup because at the time drives were very, very, very expensive, um, and the render time for this film, I think, if I remember correctly, was something like nine weeks um, for for it to re render from start to finish. That's uh, significant. Which is not as much as yeah. Yeah, which is not as much as Wally -E because I think Wally -E took something like seven months to render, which is insane. Yeah, um, not nine weeks isn't as terrible as I expected that figure to be. To be fair, I don't know why. Yeah, so they lost ninety percent of the film, but it was saved by one of their workers who happened to be at home uh, because she had recently given birth, and uh, she basically Galen Sussman was her name. She had most of the film backed up. All they lost was about three days' work. Wow. Um, and she had all the assets on her computer and they basically brought them back in and they recovered 90%. Well, they lost 90% of the film. I think they recovered something like 97% of the film. Wow. Um, and then they just went back. Now, the entire development of this film was extremely rushed because although Disney liked what they first saw, John Lasseter was not happy with it. And 
after they had done about 20 minutes worth of the film, they scrapped the whole thing and they started all over again with a brand new storyline. And they did the entire of this film in nine months, which is insane because most Pixar films take up to four years. Yeah, yeah nine months mm. is... Nine animated months is, films in general. Yeah, nine months is fast for anything and animated yeah. films. And then like the, the computer, like they have to do so much like software development and like inventing new things constantly for these early Pixar films in yeah. particular. Well, when when we get to the when we get to the baggage, that is obviously the start of what ends up being the doors in um, Monsters Inc. Like it's the same oh, kind of program yeah. Yeah. that does multiple things. So yeah, that they they basically had to. Bec- I mean, particularly this early on, they had to invent everything. Um, it's interesting though because I think as as Bugs Life was finished, uh, being finished up by John Laster, he then went immediately into doing this film. Um, and this was around the time that they were developing Ratatouille and Wally, like before the year two thousand. <laughs> That's how long the development mm-hmm. on those films took. It took years. So for this to be done, start to finish in nine months, is insane. Um, and apparently, uh, a third of the staff that worked on it got uh, repetitive strain injury, and a lot of them had to go off sick once this film was done. So people suffered for this art. Um, I've literally just suddenly got a flashback to like a a computer game of toy story 2 like it must have been like a okay. pc disc thing where because i remember the traffic cones and i remember fighting zerg and i have not thought about that in there, a very long time i know there was a toy story 2 video game i played it on the nintendo 64 um and so there's at least one Toy Story yeah, 2 I video game, and, and you may have Windows had, XP. yeah, there could be a, a PC version, or it could be an entirely separate game. I, I think I had one on, on my computer, like, but I can't remember But entirely. Yeah, so I don't know if that's the same game as what I had on the console, or it could be an entirely separate game. Yeah. Um, we get titles that give us a Star Wars vibe, it feels. Uh, obviously, considering that Disney ended up buying that a few years later, uh, that's quite interesting. Um, we have a mission that uh, Buzz Lightyear is undertaking. Um, he is trying to find the power source to defeat Zerg. And we, we see all this play out. Uh, and once, uh, <laughs> once Woody... Woody. Once Buzz is killed, we then find out that this is a computer game uh, that has been played by Rex. Um, and we get some classic jokes here where Rex, uh, he, obviously with his tiny little arms, he cannot shoot and move his character at the same time. And he demonstrates this uh, to Buzz Lightyear, who says that he is, you know, he's a better Buzz Lightyear than him, uh, which shows obviously that there's been some growth uh, in Buzz Lightyear from mm. the first film. He's, he's mellowed um, out a and this lot. Is, yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a this is a a good way to kind of get back into the. I mean, obviously, with the subsequent films, there will be different ways that we you know we are introduced to the characters. But I think this is a, a great way to kind of reintroduce everything. Um, and obviously, the toys are always in a panic when there are no humans around. <laughs> There's always something that they are panicking about. Um, and in this case, they are trying to find Woody's hat because he's going to be going away to cowboy camp uh, with Andy, and so he needs to find his hat. Um, and I like the kind of the introduction. I mean, obviously, we get some classic Tom Hanks yelling. Uh, obviously, Tom Hanks yelling in Turner and Hooch was the proof of concept for the first film. And so this I mean, what's funny is I hadn't watched this film in quite a few years. And I was surprised at exactly how much yelling we get from Tom. 
which, you know, is obviously his trademark. So I was quite happy to see that. But he's yelling that he's looking for his hat. And I like the buzz kind of calms him down by saying, you know, look, look under your, you know, look under your boot. And he's like, it's not going to be under my boot. And then he's like, you know, the name Andy is obviously written on there. And that is what he's trying to get him to kind of focus on and not not worry about the hat. Um, and I just love that. That's like, a, you know, as terrible a, a human being as Tom, as Tim Allen is. Um, I think he does, uh, you know, a good job in this film of kind of playing, as we said, a kind of more mellower uh, Buzz Lightyear. Um, you know, someone who kind of uh, has come to come to grips with the reality that he is a toy and is now kind of a co-leader of the toys with Woody rather than being a rival. Yeah, he maintains like a sense of competence even though his specialty has changed. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how you how everyone feels about this kind of introduction, the kind of the fake out of the, the kind of game. And then I particularly love the, the fact that the source of Zerg's power is a battery that literally says I, the source of I Zerg's love the, power. I love the fake out with the game. Yeah, I do too. I like it because they do it again with the train in Toy Story 3. And I can't remember what it is in Toy Story 4 as to how they... But it, it, just, it just felt like part of the franchise like it just just i i I felt like i can't remember whether they did it in toy story 4 but even if it was just those two it just felt like what to expect from the start of a project but i could be wrong well with toy story it's always it's always it's it's about toys and so having something that has to do with playing whether it's with the toys like in toy story 3 um or or if it's a computer game like it is here I feel like it really just it brings you in and and you're already um, sucked into the yeah to, you're immersed you're immersed into the into the environment into the film and we get here a quick introduction to um, I guess one would say the antagonist of the film uh, which is Al uh, he's on a commercial um, for Al's toy barn and he is dressed in a chicken suit uh, the toys refer to him as the chicken man. And the, the advert plays way too loud. And obviously this is where people panic and they have to turn the TV off. So it does not arouse the attention of the oblivious humans. Um, and we get Slinky coming in and he has the hat. Um, but he also has following him uh, Buster the dog. And uh, I, I like that they the kind of the toys play along as though Buster coming up, up the stairs is a bad thing. Um, and obviously mm. they all kind of proceed to hide. And as a viewer, you're thinking, you know, because obviously we've seen the dog in the first film. Um, here he is, I would say, a little better animated. I, and this is something that I feel shouldn't need to be said. But the animation in this is so far, it's it's miles ahead of where they were with Toy Story. It's kind of insane. Yeah, ev- everything's better animated. Yeah, yeah. So when, I mean, there's a scene where we get to later on, which it, still at this point, 20 years later, kind of blows my mind. But um you know, so Slinky has the hat, uh, Woody kind of hides, and then Buster is running around the bedroom and he finds Woody, and it turns out that this is a game that they're playing. And uh, what I love here is we get this kind of thing where Woody, um, you know, because I, I feel like it doesn't need to be said, but a, like a cowboy toy in like the early 2000s, such a weird thing that for a kid still to be playing with. And I think that this film goes some way to explain why Woody exists, you know, giving us his full backstory. But I like the fact that he has this thing where he plays this game with Buster where he does the kind of put him up and then he shoots him and he falls over. And I like that seconds later, Andy tries the same thing and Buster just Mm -hmm. kind of walks between his legs and just completely ignores him. And I think it's one of the great ways that Mm -hmm. like, you know, the humans, I mean, apart from like Al, most of the humans in this film are absent. Um, You know, Andy is going to cowboy camp 
like he's in and out of the film like we don't spend sustained time with him obviously because animating humans was still an issue that, that pixar had that all the you know all of the animation studios had for quite a while some might even say today they still have some of those issues in terms of animating human people <laughs> so obviously sticking with the toys is the best thing to do but i do i just love that interaction where andy attempts to do what woody's just done but buster just completely ignores him just walks off yeah it definitely shows you uh who who buster thinks is the alpha <laughs> yeah he'll listen to woody but he just ignores andy completely um, in all fairness, he is the family pet. He's not Andy's dog. Like, so why should he pay any attention to what Andy says? Um, yeah. What? When you were saying earlier about, um, uh, you know, about why he's still so fascinated with cowboy toys, um, in watching this, I'd completely forgotten that I had absorbed a fan theory and not realised that it wasn't actually said that Jesse's Emily was um, Andy's mum. I love that theory. I love that theory, too. And it too. makes so much sense to me, where it's like, oh, yeah, because she would have just, like, ha- passed on the Woody toy. Or if she'd, you know, seen the Woody toy in, like, a second half. It, it, yeah, it would have associated to her. Of, I'm going to pass this on to my to my son so he can experience the same. Well, and, and I think one of the concepts in that theory is the idea that the hat that Emily has yes. in the flashback is the it's hat that Andy wears yeah. throughout this. It's Yeah, it's missing the ribbon. And so it's like, oh... That's her hat. And I think the implication is always kind of that uh, Woody was Andy's father's at some point. But I don't know if that's ever explicit. But that was always the implication that I that I got. She refers to it as a as a family toy. Yeah. Kind of implying that it was passed down. Yeah. And so I would say that that at some point yeah, it goes so back to really the father. His father it, yeah, it, it has that. You, you understand why he's so close to it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And. I have a feeling that in one of the films we find out, like almost like through something written on the background, like a postcard or something, that that the mum's Emma. So being Emily is not too far fetched at all. Oh. Yes, I mean, I didn't know that part of the theory. I'll take it. <laughs> it's been many years since I went down that Pixar theory rabbit hole because I think that linked to linked to that whole theory about them all being in the same universe and all the rest. But Andy has five minutes before he's got to go somewhere, and so of course he starts playing with his toys. Uh, he sets them all up rather quickly for someone who only has five minutes. That. I, I, it uh, would take me twenty five <laughs> minutes to set it up as well like, as he yeah. did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is intricate organization of the argument yeah. and during this play this is when the inciting incident happens and uh woody's arm is torn not completely out of the socket just a tiny bit uh at the same time why is i mean you know i mean it's like a cloth toy like obviously <laughs> obviously we'll find out later on kind of why this is different to all the other toys um because you know most of the other toys are made of plastic hard plastic that doesn't break um so you know Having a, having a toy that has like uh, stitches in it is just asking for trouble, quite frankly. Um, and I, I he's then seen by uh, the mother, and she uh, sees that he is damaged in some way, and so puts him up on the high shelf. Um, and this is where we get to see where Wheezy has been. Um, apparently, a few months ago, his um, squeaker broke, and the mom put him up on the high shelf, promising Andy that she would buy a new one and fix it. Um, and that is something that has not happened. Um, and so Wheezy has been stuck up there by himself, uh, half wheezing away. Uh, now, I'll say this as a child, I had tons of toys that got broke, that lost arms, that, you know, weren't working. And I, I just played with them. I yeah. didn't really care. <laughs> like, 
In a lot of cases, yeah, yeah you, you could just yeah. keep it going. Yeah. For for us, we also we also will for our children. We if if a toy is broken, we'll do our best to like yeah. repair it at some point. Yeah, we we have a separate re- repair shop space <laughs> instead of a high shelf. And it is but, cowboy camp he's um, going to as well. It seems like mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it it seems like he still would they'd do something for Woody because it doesn't seem like it's a particularly long process. Even if they've got you know if they run five minutes later, then he's fixed. Also, didn't his mom say like you can fix you can fix him in the car? Like, go ahead and yeah. stitch him uh, up. Yeah, and... but but I think a- Andy's the one who like bailed on yeah, him. Yeah, Andy who bailed. Yeah, he on just it. dropped him on the floor. Um... I do have recollection among this, um, among all the sort of attachment to a toy, that I did have a a Woody toy that I took to a lot of places, and I remember getting particularly stressed. It might have been his hat, or I think he came with a sleeping bag. Don't know why, but I'm sure, I think Woody came with a sleeping bag, and for some reason I was taking that with me, and I was out with my mum, and then we lost the sleeping bag, and in, in like one of the shops, I think we had it back, but I'm uh, I'm dyspraxic, and especially at that point, um, like at that age, I could not focus on anything else. I had a I had a, an OT occupational therapy session. I was like five. Uh, just to help me focus on my coordination and everything. And I, I, I was actually talking about this with my family quite recently. Like, I just could not focus on anything else for that, like, hour-long session. It was just, I need to find Woody's sleeping bag. And so, <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 see, just seeing Woody and the attachment that they that their owners have to their toys just brought that all back. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know where Woody's sleeping bag is now, so maybe that should be something I, I look out for. I will say this, uh, having friends who had younger children around the time that this film came out, and they obviously had both a Woody and a Buzz, mm. um, that hat was just made to be lost. Like Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, d- I don't know anyone who, even after like a day, still had the hat on their Woody. It's just like... Well, yeah, you just like literally move him a tiny bit and the hat falls off. It's not like moulded yeah. to his head greatly either. It's, yeah. No. And there's like no snaps or or strap yeah. to keep it on oh. either. It just it will just fall off no matter what you do. I mean my Luke, my Luke Skywalker as a stormtrooper, his helmet would stay on because that was what it was designed to do. That hat seems to just come off and get lost. So, you know, 20 years later I've still got a helmet on my my Luke Skywalker whereas, you know, I'm betting that there's not a single kid has got a Woody with a hat. Um I mean, even in this film, Woody loses his hat multiple yeah. times. I mean, I like, guess they they were going on. You're letting Disney off the hook for their, <laughs> <laughs> for their, for their, their trashy toys. I mean, they're just they're just it's true. To, it's just true to life. I think that's why he keeps losing his hat. Um, and we see that there is a yard sale going to happen, and the mother comes up to the bedroom, obviously looking around to see what she can take. I do like the tension as she like puts her hand under the bed, and Slinky is under the bed, but she doesn't pick him and you know she moves rex off a book and then she picks the book up so there's like this kind of tension of like who is she gonna take and of course she does take wheezy puts him in the box um and this is where woody um once again goes to rescue a toy as he did with buzz um i would say this actually diminishes his rescuing of buzz because basically he risks a lot for a toy that i don't know i don't know that andy even cares about this i mean it's a penguin that squeaks um i, I mean you know wheezy obviously uh, a nice enough character but it feels like a lot of drama for a toy that i don't think andy would ever miss yeah and i never um, completely understood the fact of yeah they're not being played with when they're on the shelf 
But how much of a big deal it was made of, like Ouija Jeff, we haven't seen you in ages, almost. It's like, surely he can still come down when Andy's not there. Yeah. I mean, you know. But they were kind of like, oh, Ouija, you're here. And it's like, but you've been <laughs> yeah. there for months. You could have gone. Uh, what I like, though, is that Woody does hide him behind a book, but immediately the mother moves the book and just <laughs> takes him. So it's like, well, there's only so much you can do. Um, and yeah, we get we get uh, Woody making his big rescue. He he calls in uh, he calls in the dog, um, which I like. He goes to whistle with his wrong hand, and then he has to get his arm that's kind of like dead and <laughs> whistle with that. Um, he attaches himself to uh, to Buster. And some of my favorite animation is when as they as they go to you know they go downstairs and they they go out the front door, and he says to him, "Keep it casual." And they animate the dog in a way which is just so funny, where he's like kind of that one. Uh, it's I don't know. It's just it is an excellent little yeah. Sequence. It's just so it's so great because he's like keep it casual, and the dog's kind of like I don't, I don't know how to describe it. He just keeps it casual. That's how the dog does. Stray. Yeah, and then and then he's like not that casual, and I just I just like the kind of I don't know. It's just it's such a like because it's considering what was in the first film, it's so, like there's nothing that's even close to just that one little bit of animation where they're like keep it casual um yeah Mm -hmm. and so woody manages to save wheezy gets him out of the box um but of course as they're riding back um he secures wheezy to buster's um his collar but unfortunately he ends up falling off um and he gets the attention of al from al's toy barn who apparently just goes to yard sales um in his free time um, and he, he, Al is alerted. Well, I mean, if he's if he's involved in like toy collection to some degree, yeah. then like going around to yard sales is going to be kind of his Saturday. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and he's alerted when the pull cord um, uh, sets off Woody's um, uh, his his kind of speech thing. He turns around, he sees him. Um, he tries to get into negotiations with the mother. Um, and the toys, what I like is the toys are watching from the window. So they see all this happen. And, um, the, the mother obviously is like, cause he's like, Oh, I'll buy it for, you know, like he's trying to, he, first of all, he hides it with a bunch of other stuff. And he's like, I'll give you like $5 for all this junk. And then she spots Woody and she's like, this isn't for sale. And he's like, I'll give you $50. Um, but what I like is there's like, is it Slinky? Who's like, when he sees that Wood, Woody has climbed into the box and he's on sale for 25 cents, he goes, Woody, you're worth more than that. And I like this. That there's like a, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just doing this commentary. Yeah, there's like a commentary where they're like, oh, it's not like a, like, he's not trying to sell himself. It's a rescue. And and I like that when they, when he's being offered 50, Slinky is like, yeah, he's worth 50 at least. <laughs> it's just, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, which there's, I just, there's multiple kind of, Almost fourth wall breaking, but not really moments in the film where the characters just seem to. Obviously, it's not ad lib, but it almost feels like ad lib, like these just little kind of snarky one liner comments that somehow don't break character but should. And mm-hmm. often, what and often there's there's something in in the films in each of the Toy Story films, Woody is off doing something, and the other toys are like, Woody, what are you doing? And they don't like. <laughs> Trust that he's doing something like wise or smart or like with a purpose. They're like, oh, he's selling himself. He's more worth more <laughs> than that. But in reality, he's doing something completely different. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, it is also kind of in Woody's nature to not bother discussing his plans with everybody else and just to start doing them without saying anything, um, <laughs> which obviously is his downfall, I feel like, you know. I was going to um, say, I like that it's, it's actually treated as his fatal flaw and not 
as just yeah. that we're supposed to go with it. Like, is Woody's it he just kind of controlling nature is actually what leads to the problems for him. Um, and then Buzz attempts to save him uh, because Al, rather than negotiating, he kicks a skateboard to distract the mother and then just steals him. Um, and Buzz like kind of attempts to save him, uh, but he cannot quite catch up in time to the to Al's car. But he does spot uh, Al's license plate and memorizes it, and obviously that will be uh, important in the next scene. But I would say that's the end of Act One. Uh, you know, Woody is missing, and yeah. Buzz is gonna try and save him. Um, and yeah, I mean it's it, like it's amazing how quickly we kind of get into the setup as well. You know, we've had. We've been introduced to Al via the TV and then he steals Woody and Buzz tries to save him. And of course, Woody, you know, his hubris is that he thought he could save Wheezy. Uh, Wheezy obviously is saved. Wheezy gets back up to the bedroom fine. But Woody is gone. Interesting Um, thing with Al is that as someone who, yeah, as as obviously being very, very young when I first saw this, you know, obviously he was a big kind of boo-hiss villain. But I did feel like this time round, like... He did steal a toy from a kid, but also I completely understand his motivations. <laughs> and it's, and it's, it's kind of like, yeah, he's so driven. You know, he doesn't know that these toys are living things. He's so driven for his collection that he's been working on for years. And if you did see that and think for a moment, I have a chance of completing that and get that big burst to suddenly be told, oh, no, that's not for sale. You would kind of think, well, I've got to find a way. I've got this close. And... And for that, I completely understand. And I do love the fact that Disney haven't just made a boo-hiss villain. I think a lot of their villains are completely, you know, just misunderstood heroes in a way. Well, we we get the toys trying to figure out who Al is. And um, we find out that once we get back to Al's, uh, Woody is introduced to Bullseye and Jesse. And, uh, of course, uh, the prospector who is mint in the box. Um, and what I like here is this is like, I mean, this is nothing. What's what's funny about the next kind of like five or six minutes is it is nothing but exposition. It is exposition on top of exposition. Oh, yeah. there is n- it's nothing but that, mm-hmm. but it's done in such a brilliant way um, as they kind of introduce each of the things that make up Woody's Roundup. Obviously, the other characters being part of that, um, because I think the question that a lot of people had after the first film is, um, who is this cowboy toy and why does this kid still have him in in the mid 90s like it makes no sense like Buzz Lightyear makes perfect sense like those t- kind of toys exist um, and obviously you know we'll get to a meta reference later in the film um, but in terms of Woody it's always been unclear as to why this 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 kid likes this toy um, I think in the first film it was just because the ca- like a cowboy was easy for them to animate so they just went with it um, you know, mm. that made sense. But here it's now given us the answer to who the hell is Woody. And we find out he was the star of a marionette TV show from the, I'm guessing, early 60s. I think yeah, is, that's is what the I was kind thinking. of implication. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Like it's kind of got to be 50s, yeah, 60s. And we see we see all the, the like the full collection, all the merchandise that um, was available. And obviously Al has collected pretty much everything. And Woody is literally the last thing. Uh, in his collection um, that he needs to complete it Um, and the scene that blows my mind is this there's a crt tv and they show you the show of woody's roundup the theme tune of course written um uh by uh randy i want to get his newman yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but obviously he doesn't sing it 
but he did write it. Um, we'll get a couple of renditions of You've Got a Friend in Me throughout this film, none sung by Randy. He's he's not back for this film. Um, and what I find so interesting is you have this CRT TV with the scan lines on that's in black and white, and within that TV you have these marionette puppets, and all of this is animated. None of this is real. They didn't make marionettes and then film them on a TV and then animate that. Yeah. They... They literally did all of this in, like, with the... It's just, it's insane, just to think. Like, later films... And they have to do so much extra work to, like, make it look like it's marionette puppetry. that's it. Like, they they have completely different physics that they have to do. And, I don't know, I just love the whole... Like, the show, obviously, it gives us the information that we need, which is, oh, this is who Woody was. Like, he was the star of a TV show. Um... That has like a I don't know a, it's kind of almost like a weird little parody of what TV shows were mm. where like yeah I think yeah. I think it's really specifically like doing a a Howdy Doody parody yeah. which was like the marionette cowboy um, I just looked that one up because I was like yeah it's really Howdy Doody when when was that airing that aired from like forty seven to sixty <laughs> yeah it was a thirteen year run that's that's crazy and and they kind of imply that for for Woody we're going until the space race really kicks off. So that that's, yeah, you know, in the sixties. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mid to late sixties. And so, yeah, this, this could have been like a kind of long running show potentially. Well, I, I, I've always felt that the implication is the show was canceled and it was short run, but you know, it, during its time, much like uh, the Batman 66 show, like that only ran for like two seasons and they made a ton of episodes <laughs> But obviously it mm-hmm. endured because, you know, it, it was it was a f- kind of a phenomenon, but it just wasn't enough to get TV ratings. And for me, it feels like this was like a short run show that had like a ton of merchandise and everything. And that's what that's why it's collectible is because it was a failure, not because it was a huge success. Yeah, that's uh, that's right. Sorry, maybe, yeah. And yeah, so maybe it's supposed to be not exactly Howdy Doody where it had that that 10 year run, but it's it's like a follow up where it's like, OK, we're going to do yeah. the new Howdy Doody. Yeah. And the space race took off and they're like, yeah, we're we're doing like six episodes of this. We are not doing it. <laughs> yeah. But they were anticipating a decade of attention and adoration. And so they they built all the the merchandise infrastructure. And so all that stuff was like produced preemptively. Yeah. And then it's like, oh no, this is we gotta scrap the whole thing. Like it's space. <laughs> and I have yeah. been very, very tempted on the few times I've seen it that uh, when because uh, there used to be a Disney shop quite near where my college is. Admittedly, actually, when I started going to college there, the Disney shop closed, so I, I, I wouldn't have been able to go on regularly as before. But um, like whenever I've seen the Woody toy in the Woody's Roundup box, there's so much joy for that. I don't, I don't know whether any of you have, have come across that. They do, I think they do the same with Buzz, where, like, you know, there's no Toy Story branding on it at all. It's just as if, like, an in-universe... An in Buzz Lightyear. Like Buzz Lightyear or Woody's Roundup, Woody Doll, and I love that so much. And I kind of... I kind of feel... Obviously, this was before I, I was born, so maybe all this merchandising was out, but I, I feel like they Disney hasn't done as much with the Woody's Roundup merchandising as they could have made. I think they're, they'll have, like, cycles yeah. of it. Yeah. I think that the issue is that um, most people don't want to play with cowboy toys, but they do want to play with a Woody toy. That's the, that's the difference. So, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, what I like here is we get we get everything. Like I mean, all the merchandise is kind of funny because there's like games and the kind of the snake in the boot is. I just love. I mean, what I love about it is that's my favorite. Yeah, one. what I love is the fact that Tom Hanks, in his voice, 
um, throughout the film, he will change the way he's playing Woody. So obviously when he's at the start of the film, you know, with the toys, he's the Woody that we kind of knew from the first film. He's very authoritative. He's in mm. charge of everything. You know, he occasionally yells. In fact, he yells a lot. Um, but then when he when he's here and he's meeting, you know, uh, Bullseye and Jesse, first of all, he's shocked because he doesn't know who they are or what they're doing. And obviously Jesse is extremely intense um, in the in the first meeting with him. And then when he gets the explanation of like who he is and what his origin is, and then he finally kind of understands, you know, that, obviously, you know, he was a star. And I kind of like how he's going through all the different bits of merchandise. And then when he when he presses the thing and the snake comes out, he goes, I get it. There's a snake in my boot. And just the kind of the tone, the way that Tom Hanks is playing this in this scene is different to the way he was when he was in the toy room with everybody else. Because yeah. obviously there he's just another toy. Whereas here, he's the star of the show. And I think it's kind of funny because that kind of gradually takes his character over. Well, because he doesn't uh, need to stand up for and defend himself. That's doing it for him. So he's kind of able to to be comfortable as his real self because he's already got authority. But yeah, so, uh, you know, I like, uh, I mean, Bullseye, the animation is amazing on Bullseye. I don't don't think, like, they just introduce his character and I don't think you realise how, like, how complicated it is to animate a horse just normally and so for them to kind of turn that into like a ragdoll horse and then add those physics it's insane like how well they animate uh, bullseye um throughout all throughout this entire mm-hmm. film and obviously joan cusack is a delight yeah. as jesse um you know she it's, i i love Jessie. yeah and i th- i think what i what i like about it is you know we will get to obviously we'll get to know jesse a lot better as the film goes on but when when she first meets him her enthusiasm and, you know, why why she's happy. Obviously, we'll find out later on the exact reason. But I like that Joan Cusack is conveying that without having, like, before we know. Like, she's ext- like she's extremely excited to meet Woody. And as a viewer, you're like, oh, you know, I get it. Because obviously everyone loves Woody. But, uh, but you know, she doesn't know him. So th- there's, a, there's, a, there's almost a question of, like, why is she this excited? Uh, and obviously it's because now mm-hmm. the set is complete. You know, they're never going to go back into... Um, you know, into the darkness. So it's like, you know, that that's the that's like like the fact that Woody, you know, when he was ripped and he was put on the shelf, he was obviously sad that he may never be played with again. Here we've got toys that have never been played with, ostensibly. Um, excited that their their purpose is now complete because Woody is here. Um, and I like that Joan Cusack mm. kind of convi- yeah. conveys all that before we even really get to know it. Like her enthusiasm is so kind of like over the top. And and eventually you find yeah, out it's, why. Yeah, it's 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 like a, a giddiness. Yes, yeah, that is it. Where it's not just enthusiasm. It's like, oh, she is, like, she's losing control of her Ecstatic. emotions in a in a positive way instead of in in instead of a, like a negative depression. And I think way. what you were saying about Woody kind of, you know, get coming to terms with not with being a toy that's not played with. I think that's potentially his arc over the whole franchise from this point onwards because where we get to I don't want to spoil it for the people you've got on but where we get to at the end of Toy Story 4 is like the conclusion of that if if you believe that film exists <laughs> I, I really don't like Toy Story 4 at all let's let's save that for a different podcast yeah uh... but it's um, <laughs> I, I, either way yeah I, I I do really like this the, the whole sequence and I it's, it's huge credit as well to Disney to not go Oh, people liked it when we expanded upon Woody's backstory. Let's in Toy Story three have the female sidekick to Buzz Lightyear and a space dog. Like you know, they they could so easily have just redone, 
Woody's backstory to a kind of Buzz Lightyear level or cre- or further developed anyone other than Zerg into his backstory, and I love that they didn't. Oh, Luke, I have bad news for you. Come in in 2022, Lightyear. That is Pixar's next big project. <laughs> Mind you, oh. The, the Buzz and Lightyear. And me saying film. that, I forgot that there was that 2D animated yeah. Buzz Lightyear movie as well, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they yeah. they did expand some Buzz Lightyear stuff, but but it's it's not in the same way. And it's interesting because like there's obviously a ton of parallels from Toy Story one to Toy Story two, where like Woody and Buzz are in opposition, like yeah. opposite positions, and it's like okay, well they both lose an arm. I think it's the same arm, yeah. um, and you've got things like that going on, and their identity crisis of like okay, but like what do I mean to the world? And for Buzz, it's an identity crisis of like oh, I'm not what I thought I meant. And for Woody, it's a crisis of, oh, I mean something I didn't even know about. Mm, yeah. You know, I, I do mean something to people. And Buzz is like, oh, I don't mean anything. Yeah. And so you have those kind of opposite, but it's like Toy Story 1 and Toy Story 2 have a lot of overlap in in what is kind of the the notion going on with the, with the characters. Yeah. Uh, Woody finds out they're going to be sold, but they have to be a set. They can't be sold without Woody. So this is where, you know, Woody, he, at first he's reluctant to be part of this. He wants to get back to Andy. He doesn't want to be put into a museum in Japan, uh, which is what is going to happen. Um, and in this, he ends up losing an arm, uh, which he tries to get back. But unfortunately, Al returns. Um, and we get, <laughs> we get the scene where Al has put the arm in his pocket and he's lying on the, the, the sofa and he has like a bowl of uh, Cheetos. Over here, we would refer to them as Wattsits. And it gets turned over. And I like how like Woody is trying to get back the arm and he steps on like a Cheeto and it crunches. <laughs> and he kind of then sees all this like massive expanse of like Cheetos, almost like, um, you know, a bunch of like mousetraps. Um, as- it's, uh, yeah, it's the, the mind. Yeah, field. and I, I, it's such a like it's so like even the kind of the kind of pullback of the camera to reveal it all is like it's something that I don't think they would have even been able to do in, in Toy Story. Like just that way the camera moves is kind of amazing. Um, and obviously this is unsuccessful because the TV turns on and it wakes up Al and then uh, Woody is put back into his little case. While all this is going on, um, Buzz and Slinky, uh, Rex, uh, Potato Head, and Ham. Um, have come together and they are going to uh, rescue um, Woody. Um, They figure this out by... One of my favourite things in this is when Ham is going through the TV channels and they're trying to find an advert for for the, you know, for the Owl's Toy Barn so that they can uh, get a map to it because obviously we saw that map earlier in the previous advert. Um, And I like how they, they get, like... They're, they're kind of going through the channels slowly and then Ham is like, look, leave this to me. And he quickly goes through the channels and I like how he gets to the channel where he's, but they're like, oh, go back. And he's like, no, no, it's just quicker to keep on going. Um, and that's just something that, like... <laughs> Got to go around the horn. <laughs> yeah. And that's something that as a child I relate to because it was quicker on some TVs just to just keep going up the channels and mm-hmm. you'll come back around and it's faster to do it that way than try and yeah. go back. Um, so I just love that moment. Um, and, and so of course, many it's... moments like that feel like if the film were live action, would be ad libbed things that the actors would work out between them on the spot, which yeah. I, it gives mm-hmm. this film yeah. such a kind of raw, unpolished feel, which is just lovely. It's what happens when you go and knock a film out in nine months. Can't be, uh, <laughs> can't be going back and redoing lines. You just got to go with what's there. Um, 
I like as well that the like the the map to the to the toy barn comes up and uh, Etch a Sketch instantly like kind of draws it, um, and then from that um, because obviously you know they can't take the Etch a Sketch with them. I like that Buzz like kind of draws a copy of it, um, and and uh, so that they know where they're going. Um, and of course, when mm-hmm. we when we kind of meet up with them halfway through, we find out that they've gone like two blocks, and there's like only nineteen more to go. <laughs> And I, I like that the kind of scale of how big it is, 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 is kind of funny because obviously they're toys. So like that, that's always like, you know, any distance is always going to be a long way. But I like that Buzz is enthusiastically like there's nothing stopping him from going to rescue Woody. And, you know, obviously it's a, that's a, you know, a kind of contrast to how he was in the first film. And so I just like that his mm-hmm. commitment right. to his friend mm. is something that kind of keeps him going, whereas everybody else is exhausted. Did um, we feel that, that the proportions of the toys were a little inconsistent in the film? There were a few points where I was like, I seem smaller myself, or bigger personally. than I expected. I think, I don't, because like proportion of the toys, I feel like is consistent. Proportion of the world is maybe yeah, where it that's feels. Fair. Yeah. I don't really like having you know, less consistent. Like, like Buzz always seems like he's, he's the same height in comparison to Rex. But like, okay, when they all climb into a car later on, it's like, okay, the how big is the world? And maybe <laughs> yeah. they do have like some standardization, but it yeah, I think you're Woody's right. There's sometimes on, like, inconsistency. The, the gaffer tape or whatever. It's like how how big's that roll of tape? Like it might be a really mm-hmm. big roll of tape, yeah. but that kind of threw me out a bit thinking he looks tiny. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I yeah. don't really care. <laughs> but it was it doesn't bring you out of the film. It it, it like it's something yeah, to it's notice. The analytical mindset on where I was kind of like, is that? And then I think my my sister was in that point. I said, is that in, like not proportional to earlier? And we were like, yeah, maybe. And then that was it. We didn't talk any more about it. And it was like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all. It yeah. Um, when when you guys think about Toy Story, where geographically are they living? What like where is this city? It's in the tri-state area, of course. It's all over the film. I don't even know where you're asking. Well, I think they said tri-county. Tri-county. They say tri-county. Oh, well, that confuses things even so more. So it, it kind of like it that kind of evokes like tri-state. It's like okay, so that's East Coast. That's like New York area. But they say tri-county. They don't say tri-state. So I feel like I assumed what's like where is I feel like place? I assumed East Coast. That's just what I assumed. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know, uh-huh. about but also like I just never thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I just yeah, but, I was just wondering. It's like yeah, what like when I think about it, I also think East Coast. But I also know like from from the first film and this film together, it's like okay, it's not very far to get to like pretty rural stuff. So they're not yeah. near a big yeah. city. Like this is they're they're yeah. in the suburbs, but those suburbs are close to rural space. Like it like they have to drive out of town like they're driving to another city to get to pizza planet yeah in the first in the first movie like that is not a their same trip. town a... that is another town and it's like on the opposite side of some rural farm space yeah so it's not free and way it's, to it's free rage interesting driving. because the the house that andy lives in is is not that far away like the toys can walk into the city into the city but it's not like a super it doesn't seem like it's like a new york city type city so i i don't know it's where big it enough be, to have a high rise it, it has to yeah it has to have high rise but and there's an international airport that'll get them to is i mean is this supposed to be a direct flight to japan because that would <laughs> preclude the east coast i i mean that would make it west obviously coast. pixar is is based in california so maybe this is just like a small so california now all of a sudden area. i'm thinking california yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, I don't know. They never actually say it's going directly to Japan, though, do they? We're I don't, making I don't think so. It, it seems like it's maybe implied that it's a direct flight, yeah. but but it, yeah, it's not clear. But yeah, I would have thought East Coast, like like you had said, but maybe it, it is West Coast, but then the rural side of it, it's like, ah, <laughs> where is this like combination of rural and city and suburbs? And speaking of that high rise, uh, obviously that is where Al is living. He's living in a building that has at least 23 floors. Uh, but he's quite close to his work, which I I find quite funny. Like um, <laughs> that, like you know, even when he's home, he he kind of can see his own work, which is kind of uh, I don't know a bit depressing. Um, and we get to one mm-hmm. of the big set pieces, which is the cone crossing, which I'm sure <laughs> is something that everybody kind of remembers, where the toys the toys see where the barn is, and they they know that they all they got to do is cross the road, and obviously they are discouraged from doing that by what happens to a coke can. Um, or a, I should just say a cola can that gets crushed by a car and kind of jumps in front of them. And I like that this doesn't discourage Buzz at all. He's like, okay, let's get across the road. <laughs> like, even though... Yeah. Like, let's figure out a plan for getting yeah, across. Yeah, whereas the rest of the he, toys he are ke- clearly looking at that can and being like, that could easily be us. We could easily be crushed by whatever is driving on that road. Slinky references Forrest Gump. In what way? Right? When he says, I may not be a smart dog, but I know what roadkill is. Like, I definitely took that as the, I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. Like, especially combined yeah. with his accent. I mean, potentially. Like, um, I mean, we had a Close Encounters reference oh. earlier in the film, so... Yeah. But it just means if Slinky is yeah, there could to be, be referencing Forrest Gump, does Tom Hanks exist in the universe of Toy I Story? I don't know. Have, have they watched <laughs> Forrest Gump on the TV? I mean, it was a great performance, so who would blame them for, <laughs> for, for wanting to watch it? Um, yeah, so I love this. I love this cone scene, not least of all because, again, it blows my mind the level of animation in this. Because you have the camera perspective inside the cones for each of the toys, so you see them kind of pushing the toy, or mm-hmm. you know, holding the to- holding sorry, pushing the cone or holding the cone up. And outside of that, we then also see what happens when they have to stop, and they form a little kind of they they ever form like a little crescent, or they they block off a road, or and and the cars for some reason they just obey these cones no matter where they are, rather than just running them over. They so one car kind of just turns and goes the wrong way into like a parking structure and blows out all its tires because they get caught on like a little great thing, and then you know the. The animation that is insane is the is like the I don't know like the the big truck the like sixteen turner or whatever that like the way like as it kind of breaks and the kind of mm-hmm. back kind yeah. of goes over the top of the cones um, and obviously you know all these cars are like just crashing into each other and then that massive like um, kind of like sewer pipe I think it is that's on the back of that truck that kind of comes loose and we obviously have the tension as Potato Head. Um, you know, gets his foot stuck on some gum and he's trying to like pull it up and we can see that this massive like concrete structure is basically going to just crush him and then he just basically... And he has no idea. Yeah, he does, this is it. He doesn't know the danger he's in. He just continues on. Um, and what I love is that just as they get to the other side of the road and Buzz is like, uh, great job, troops. And then we we look back and we see all these cars crashed and it, mm-hmm. all the chaos that they've caused just by crossing the road for like two minutes. Uh, and it's just amazing. It's just, like the level of animation is kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, I just... And people are going to blame the cones and the cones aren't there <laughs> yeah, anymore. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, like uh, none of these drivers will have a rational explanation as to what happened. They were just following like <laughs> these cones that someone had put in the road. Um, but I do also love that that kind of shows the mentality of people who, like, 
you know, if someone sees some cones in the road, they're like, oh, this must be directing me somewhere. And so they just trust them. Um, but yeah, I it's a great sequence. Um, and also something that like just would not be possible even a couple of years beforehand, like just the level of detail of stuff crashing into each other. And um, like I said, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the camera angles inside the cones, even though that's a small detail, that's the kind of thing that amazed me. It was just like, it looks like there's a camera inside an actual cone. And then you have to remember to yourself, that cone doesn't exist. That toy doesn't exist. That road doesn't exist. That's all been kind of made up by people. It's just kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, Al has called in the cleaner, uh, a man who cleans and fixes toys. Uh, and I do like this little sequence where we see he cleans, in particular, like the moment when he like cleans Woody's eyes and we see the reflection. Mm-hmm. And it's just an amazing like little detail that um, that I just, it's just, it's like the kind of the care and attention. And I love that he has like a little tiny like a barber's chair that he kind of adjusts <laughs> to kind of to kind mm-hmm. of put up. And there's a little fake out when we see, obviously because he's an elderly man, we see him trying to thread a needle and obviously he's like, he's nowhere near being able to get that needle threaded. So obviously as a viewer, you're worried that his hands aren't going to be steady enough to fix Woody. Um, but he ends up like yeah. fixing him perfectly. He has a little tiny... Doesn't he have a Pixar short? Yes. Yeah. This guy did the, um, the chess playing. The Jerry's, uh, Jerry's, Jerry's game. game. Yeah. From like two years earlier, I think, ninety-seven, uh, mm-hmm. it was released. What was, was was there a short to accompany no. this film? Um, there wasn't. No, this this was the, this was the last time that Pixar put a film out without a short. Oh, okay. I was gonna say it's like typically they did. I wonder what it was. No, there was no short. This was I, the the one that didn't. Yeah, I double checked, and there was no there was no short for this. And then the following year was what um, Monsters Inc. Was that the next one? Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, and I think that, I think they had for the birds, which was like the first time that they paired a short up with a film, and that mm. became because the thing is their gimmick at first was the outtakes at the end, right? Because they did they did two sets of outtakes for Bugs yeah. Life, and I saw both. I went to the cinema twice for Bugs Life, and they had they changed the outtakes like about five weeks after it was released, oh. and they they put out a different set. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's one of those things that I remember because I saw Bugs Life twice, and whenever I look at my tickets, I'm like, oh, why did I see Bugs Life twice? Like, of course, because it was just for the different outtakes. Um, that and then when obviously when it went to DVD and whatever, they had both sets of outtakes like on. They just put them both back to back on the on the thing. Right. So, um, but yeah, but they had no short. Like the gimmick was we're doing outtakes, and so that's what people came to see was like the the funny outtakes. And then yeah, I only saw the outtakes like in recent like year or so. I did not know that these were things until yeah. very recently. Yeah. I think Cars was the last one to have the outtakes where they did they didn't do outtakes but they did like the all the different films that were Cars. So they had mm. like a, right. Oh yeah. So they had cameos from like Buzz Lightyear and and stuff like that. I'm right. not going to be discussing that film. Even Tom Hanks makes a cameo. Yeah, that was like the last time they kind of did anything consciously with the end titles. But yeah, so the cleaner restores Woody, sprays his hair because he apparently he was thinning at the back, which we didn't realize. <laughs> um, and then of and then of course, in an act of terrorism, he paints over Andy on the foot, um, which you know I I thought that's kind of like it, it's it's funny because it's like it's it's almost like that is one of the things that makes Woody kind of ready to not be Andy's toy anymore is the fact that it's been painted off his foot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and obviously Woody is happy with his uh, his makeover. He feels as good as new, um, and you know he's he's you know his arm has been fully sewn back on, and this is now um, you know Al is now ready to sell everything in mint condition. He's going to take some pictures. He's going to send them to the Japanese buyer, and he's going to make a lot of money. And this is where the toys now they've crossed the road. They finally figure out they how to get into Al's toy barn. I love how they figure out how the. Um, 
you know the the uh, sensor pad the like the the sensor works yeah i love i love how like they see it and the woody like buzzy's just kind of analyzing it he's like how does like he could see as someone walk in and then he he instantly is like oh okay this is how we're gonna do it and they all run up to it and i like how he's like because they all like kind of jump in at different times and he's like no 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 together and they all just do one big jump and it opens the doors and it's just so it's so well kind of put together um, and then this is when we start to break a number of walls, uh, <laughs> most of them being the fourth wall, <laughs> because they're inside a toy store. Toys inside a toy store. Um, and I, lo- I mean, this is where we kind of get a bit like, I don't know, reference heavy, um, you know. Yeah. I, I, I do like that, obviously, Rex sees that there's a player's guide for how to defeat Zerg in the computer <laughs> game. <laughs> so obviously he's like... This is perfect. Like he, you know, he while he's going around the store, he's just reading this guide so he can finally figure out how to defeat Zerg. Um, Do you think Andy will end up like going onto his games console <laughs> and seeing that the game's been completed? I, I mean, like, I, I don't know what this, I, the hint. The thing is, um, I mean, Luke, you would not know this because you are too young. But there was a point when uh, video games consoles did not save your game. And the only way to keep your progress was by putting in a password. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So it's entirely possible that when they turn that the game off, notice. it doesn't. Ah. Yeah, it doesn't remember anything. Yeah, you'd um, have to you'd, you'd like enter the password, and then it would automatically like, oh, you got that password. That means you know to get to this stage of the game. Yeah. Um, kind of safe. Yeah, that's the safe point. Is like punch in a code for where you were in the game. Okay. And it would also remember how many lives you had, or. Um, you know, any other kind of extras that you'd earn along the way, that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I don't think Andy would notice. But that would be a humorous, like, end credits thing where he's like, who's completed my game? Um, yeah, they, um, I think they were playing on, like, a pretty early PlayStation is what it looked like from the controller. Yeah, kind of, yeah. It, it also kind like of looks a, a bit... Like a PlayStation uh, 1 or 2. It looks a bit super nezzy as well in terms of the way yeah. the controller's laid out. Yeah, it could be that. The, the four buttons and stuff. So, yeah, I mean... But I, I'm just guessing that the game doesn't have like a save system, so he wouldn't know that someone's completed it. Um, but yeah, so obviously while uh, Rex is reading that guide, uh, Ham goes and finds a car because he doesn't want to be spending all his time walking around um, uh, the store. There, ha- there has been a kind of weird existential thing that has come up, which is that all of the toys, their their body parts are aching from all the w- walking. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. kind of weird because it means that they like feel some kind of pain. Um, for all the walking that they've been doing. They, they have is, sensation. Yeah, so that's an odd thing for them to introduce, but I like that, um, you know, Ham, with the without Buzz, uh, but with the rest of the guys, is just, like, driving around trying to find, like, the office for, for Al's toy barn. Um, and this is where Buzz sees an aisle full of Buzz Lightyears. Um, and obviously... Sorry, if the toys feel pain, yes. then that just makes what Sid did in the first film so much more disturbing. Yes, I mean... Yeah. There's, there's also the fact that yeah. Wood, Woody is, is prepared to spend the entire existence in a museum, uh, implicating that until his until he is rent asunder, um, he will always <laughs> exist. So, um, yeah, you know, it's it's a weird thing that they decided to introduce in this film. And 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 actually, like the pain discussion is a little bit odd because they're talking about like pain and discomfort. And then we see evidence of like. Woody feeling pain when Sid burns a hole in his forehead, but Woody doesn't seem to experience a lot of pain as his arm falls off. I was yeah. thinking that. So, yeah. his, like, so his stitches don't. His, his stitches breaking don't seem to cause pain, but a burn to the forehead does. Yeah. Yeah, and and Mr. Potato Head walking, he has to like change his feet because they're hurting so much. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's odd, but uh, yeah, we, we get we get to the 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 Buzz Lightyear Isle. There's a lot of buzzes there, and Buzz meets Buzz, uh, a, a, a completely new Buzz who is still as Buzz Lightyear was in the previous film. Uh, while this is going on, Ham and the rest of the guys run into the Barbies. They get onto the Barbie Isle, and um, Mr. Potato Head reassures himself that he's a married potato, um, and so therefore he cannot <laughs> indulge in any dalliances with these Barbies. Um, of course, uh, there's a, I mean, there's a, it's the weird thing about having all the Barbies in this film is there's a little bit of a backstory in that the Barbie was one of the brands that refused to be featured in the first film. And mm-hmm. yeah. that is why Bo Peep exists as a character, because they wanted a Barbie, but Barbie said, no, we don't want to be involved. And then obviously Toy Story made a ton of money and sold a ton of toys. And all of a sudden, Mr. Potato Head, a toy that had not been popular in like 20 years, was one of the best selling toys of the year. So, of course, Barbie changed their story a little bit for this one. And they were like, yes, sure, we wish to be featured. (laughs) And suddenly there's tons of Barbies. Um, And of course, uh, this is where we get we get like a little I mean, the bouncy balls again. It's 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 like one of those physics things that they had kind of come up with and they tested out here when uh, they run into a, a kind of container that has all these bouncy balls and they just kind of unleash them uh, again amazing animation like with all the physics of these balls bouncing around in this aisle um, we get ourselves a brief Jurassic Park reference as as Rex runs up to the car and he's mm-hmm. seen in the mirror uh, which yeah. you know is a wonderful little thing and we find out from uh, tour guide Barbie uh, that apparently a few years earlier, um, toy shops under ordered Buzz Lightyear's, and uh, because they did not s- foresee the demand, um, and obviously people didn't get to have their Buzz Lightyear's that uh, that Christmas, uh, which is you know about as much fourth wall breaking as you can possibly fit into one sentence, uh, where they're mm-hmm. basically they're they're berating toy retailers while also trying to sell them these toys. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, it's kind of amazing. Uh, but yeah, and I, I I, mean, what I love about this is obviously we get the kind of like Buzz Lightyear kind of rebooted. This is something actually that I think they do as well in Toy Story 3. Like the only story mm-hmm. they really seem to have for Buzz Lightyear is he gets rebooted. And so they do that here where he meets a brand new Buzz who thinks he's real. And he ends up getting into a fight with our Buzz and our Buzz gets trapped in a box um, and the other Buzz, when he meets Rex, Rex says, oh, I know how to defeat Zerg. And of course, because he thinks um, that he is real, he immediately gets in the car with those guys. What I like, though, is that none of them question that this Buzz is behaving so oddly. They just put that down to his like his behavior, like because he's he's trying to get Woody back. And obviously this they're, mm-hmm. they're taking yeah. it some kind of like, you know, the fact that he's lost Woody. Um, but yeah, I mean, all this stuff in the Toy Story is kind of funny because. You know, one thing that the first film was accused of was basically just trying to sell kids toys. Now, I think the Toy Story didn't do that. I think, you know, obviously it told the story of Woody the Sheriff and Buzz Lightyear, neither of which were real toys. But obviously it did use real toys because, you know, the, the little army men and obviously, you know, uh, Mr. Potato Head and Slinky Dog. Like, these are obviously toys that exist. Um, but then Ham is just a... He's not a toy he's a piggy bank <laughs> like so mm-hmm. yeah. I, you know I, and rex again that's a that's like a, not a toy that exists but kids love dinosaurs so like you don't have to sell dinosaur toys to kids just tell kids here's a dinosaur <laughs> and they'll just have them kids love dinosaurs mm-hmm. so 
I, I feel like Toy Story yeah. was never guilty of doing that. But I, some people, when this came out, I think were a little bit more critical of this whole inside a toy shop thing, in particular, all the whole kind of the Buzz Lightyear's. It's like your kid sees like this aisle full of 50,000 Buzz Lightyear's and what are they going to do after the film? Are they going to not ask for a Buzz Lightyear? Of course not. Like, you know, and now, of course, you know, they've introduced Zerg as a character as well. So it's like, of course, they're going to want a Buzz Lightyear and a Zerg. Like, but yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, even if a a part of the making of a film, because what people seem to forget when things like that are are criticised, is movies are made to make money. <laughs> like that is the point at the end of the day. Like entertainment is there, but it is still a business. And so even those movies that are specifically made to sell toys, if it's still entertaining, it shouldn't matter. I feel like people question the ethics of like you know a film that is filled with toys. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, I owned dozens of Star Wars figures. No one would argue mm-hmm. that Star Wars, the 1977 film, was made to sell toys. There were just toys no. of a film. Um, I owned I owned toys from the 1986 film Dune. I never, I've never seen the film Dune, but I still just own the <laughs> toys because they were toys. You know, you buy toys for kids. So, um, yeah. Mm, I had like a box of about 200 uh, 5.5 inch Doctor Who figures for a long time. I think they're in the loft now. And yeah, like no one would say that Doctor Who was made to sell toys, but if you were in any Toys R Us in the early 2000s, you, you'd believe so. Yeah, they made toys of Robocop. Robocop is not a kid's film. Um, yeah, that's that's make, actually yeah. thoroughly inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so and then of course we get to the, the emotional heart of the film, uh, which is of course the song When She Loved Me. Uh, designed to make everybody extremely sad because, you know, uh, it's I, I guess it's Pixar and that's what they like to do occasionally. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I yeah. love I love that we get like obviously Jesse is not happy because she doesn't want to go back into storage. Uh, no one would want to go back into storage, um, and she's adamant, you know, that that obviously Woody um, needs to stay with them so that they can be sold and they can have a purpose. Um, and then of course we find out. Um, why she is so adamant and you know why she um you know kind of doesn't you know kind of doesn't regard herself as something to be played with um and i don't know i mean i don't know how you guys feel about uh when she loved me but i do uh i do really like this song and it does make me cry every time i I love this song it's it's beautiful yeah um and of course again it is nothing but exposition it's a song that that just is fully 100 percent exposition um and it's just backstory but it's done so perfectly um, that you know you understand the plight of a toy who was once loved by a kid um, who falls down the back of a bed once and then is instantly abandoned <laughs> as as the child grows up uh, into you know a young lady and um, you know and then she's just donated and left on the side of the road uh, and obviously that is that's something that you know she doesn't want to kind of go back to um, and I, I mean, again, they kind of use this a little bit more in Toy Story 3 and they kind of retread it a bit. But I, I think that they do it really well here. Um, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I think it works really well. And I remember, I can't remember what the sermon was, but I remember once being at a church event where they played that clip from Toy Story and then had some <laughs> sermon about it. And I, it was like a big church camp that I went to a couple of times, about 5,000 people. And just playing that, I was like... Toy Story in church, I'm on board. And it appears my brain decided to block out whatever the message was. But I have I have somewhere got... I, I literally filmed it, seeing watching Toy Story 2 
even just that scene on the screen it, among 5,000 people was lovely. Yeah, it's funny because uh, on the uh, on the app TikTok, uh, people use this song for, for when oh, no. their pets die. And so they will play... They oh. will like... They use. I was expecting this to go like a route where I was going to be like, "Oh, how dare they!" They've but, ruined oh. it. But, but... The, no. they, the, generally, it'll be a clip of like their, do, you know, their dog or their cat or whatever when they were kind of younger, and then kind of their final days, and then some message about like, you know, uh, we loved you and we'll miss you and something like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I've probably liked too many of those videos on TikTok because like they keep showing up on my for you page. <laughs> Um, and every time I am extremely sad that somebody, you know, lost their beloved pet of like 20 years or whatever. But yeah, um, so that's what I'm yeah, mostly my, my associated with. My dog of 15 years passed away like two months ago. And for some reason, the song that I've got linked to him was Sunshine on Leith by The Proclaimers. I don't know why, <laughs> but that's, it works. Well, it's, it's very if, sad. If you have any footage of that dog, uh, put When She Loved Me underneath it and see if that makes you super sad <laughs> ironically it's my it's my parents uh wedding anniversary on monday and what they've asked for is like either a, like is like some like picture or video or something of a memory of the dog so i can do this this weekend there you go <laughs> <laughs> so um now now that al has taken pictures of the toys he goes to his office at the toy barn while the toys are still there um, and the toys spot his bag while they're in the office. They talk to a pair of Rock'em Sock'em robots who get into a dispute and immediately fight each other. And I love that moment. It's just so funny. That, that, like, that is like it's, it's really great. That's one of the best gags. <laughs> yeah, they just it's, instantly just argue. Immediate animosity and and fight. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Such a great, such a great moment. Uh, they sm- they smuggle themselves into his bag, um, and obviously, you know, Abba sees them exiting. And he sees where the car goes, so he knows where the apartment building is. Um, and he tries to get out of the door before it closes, and he ends up splatting on the window. Um, and then he pulls over a bunch of chemistry sets, I think they were, which seems a bit dangerous to me to be doing that, but, you know. <laughs> um, and they that presses, obviously, the pad, and it opens the door, so he's, a, he's able to get out and kind of go across. So basically, everything is converging as we get to the end of the second act here. In the apartment building, Al has taken all the toys, unknowing to him, uh, into the, the like the apartment building. Well, he actually he doesn't does he? He leaves them in the car, and this is where we you know the the old you know kind of the new buzz attempts to <laughs> fly out of the car, but obviously his wings don't work uh, because he's not real. He's a toy, and you know I just love that like the rest of the toys are kind of just like okay all right, and they just open the car door and they get out anyway, and then they mm-hmm. they obviously they see that he's gone to the twenty third floor, so he must be doing okay at the toy barn if he's got the penthouse in this building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know that's uh, that's a good low. I mean, everything indicates that like he is making good money. Yeah. out of all this stuff, and that doesn't seem to make him happy. Well. You know, money cannot buy you happiness, apparently, according to this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I like as well here is we get Zerg. He is freed by our, our buzz. Uh, you know, he doesn't realize this. But I like that when when Zerg sees him, we go behind Zerg. And obviously, he's one of those to- he's one of those toys that you can kind of look through. And so we're seeing Zerg's perspective as though we were someone standing behind Zerg, which is just an mm-hmm. amazing touch. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously, he's focused exactly on uh, catching up with Buzz. Um, and this is when finally uh, they dis- the, the our, our guys decide to go up to the shaft um, and find Woody because they you know they know he's up there. And what I what I like is 
the, the new Buzz decides instead of riding the elevator, because that's what they'll expect, he gets out his like metal pads, like his magnetic pads, and mm-hmm. he starts climbing. He climbs, climbs them all the way up. Oh, it's so, I don't know, it's so insane because like, it just doesn't make any sense. But at the same time, I like that he he decides, you know, after the, the climbing is taking too long, that he's going to um, engage anti-gravity. And obviously the rest of the toys are not happy with this because they're hanging on and they're basically going to fall down this lift shaft. But when he when he does this, as as with the first buzz in the first film, you know, he does something dumb and it just happens to work because the, the, the elevator is catching up to them anyway. And so they ride up on the elevator um, and they finally find uh, Woody. Uh, uh, at the time, Woody is being tickled by Jesse, <laughs> which... Um, you know, I, I, what I like again is this is, it feels like this is, this is the point at which Woody has kind of decided that he's okay with, you know, just being a toy in a museum. Um, and obviously his, his interplay with the kind of the, you know, the rest of the Woody's roundup collection is the thing that kind of gives that away. Of course, uh, they think that he's being tortured due to this tickling. And so, and again, I mean, this is kind of like a kind of a corny, like cutscene, like a cut to gag where, you know, they say, how are we going to get out of here? And Buzz says to Rex, we're going to, you know, use your head. And then they instantly cut to using him as a battering ram. And, you know, it's like a jokey joke, but I like the fact that they do it. It's just like such a, it's like such a silly thing to do, um, mm-hmm. you know, to yeah. use Rex's. And the fact that it works is also great. Oh, yeah. it's. I mean, it's played perfectly. Just the way it cuts instantly to him, him being like, no, like kind of like, don't use my head. Like just kind of his protest as they're like using him as a battering ram is quite funny. Um, but yeah. Which I can almost imagine on paper in the script would uh, you would almost come across that it doesn't work as well as it does visually. Yeah, I think it's in the timing. It's just timed perfectly. Yeah. Um, of course, this is where we then get the, you know, Woody's old toys meeting up with his new toys. Um, and this is where we get the reversal of uh, the line, of course, the most famous line, I think, from the first film, where, you know, Buzz has to tell Woody, you are a toy. <laughs> like... But not in the fact that, like, that's his reality, but in the fact that toys are meant to be played with by children. And that is, you know, mm-hmm. you don't, you're not meant to go to yeah. a museum. Um, and I just love that moment, the kind of the reversal of fortune for the, for the two toys. Um, I, think it's, I think it's really good to, like, show that someone can deliver a message and then also lose their way from that message. Like, we all have to support each other in different ways. I, like, I think that's reading a little bit into it. But, like, functionally, you know... I had to deliver this message to somebody and sometimes they have to deliver it back to me is a useful thing for us to know um, in life, right? Sometimes we all need support in different ways at different times, right? Sometimes it, sometimes the stress is getting to one person, sometimes it's getting to another and they can each support each other when, when they can. Um, and of course, you know, Woody, Woody has basically resolved to stay and the rest of the toys accept this. And so they leave. Um, and then Woody sees uh, um, the marionette version of himself singing, you've got a friend in me. <laughs> and then, uh, so that kind of gives us the origin story for that as well. Like it's a, I don't know, what, 60 year old song. Um, and of course, while the marionette is singing it, a child comes in and kind of holds the marionette. And uh, I, what I like is like the ukulele just kind of floats away from him <laughs> because mm-hmm. obviously it's very hard to operate the marionette while the kid is like hugging this doll. Um, and so, yeah. you know, although we've reached the end of the second act where Woody is like, I'm staying instantly, we're thrown into the third act where Woody's like, no, I want to go back. <laughs> so, 
it takes him like two minutes to decide that he wants to go with them. Um, and then, of course, this is where we get the twist. And probably, I don't know, one of my favorite kind of lines in the film uh, where we see that the prospector is out of his box um, in every sense um, because he has decided that, you know, he's not going to go back into storage. Uh, this is the purpose, you know, he he, wa he wants to um, be sold and go to this museum. And so um, even though Woody has said to Jesse and, and Bullseye, you know, come come back with me, come to Andy, you know, he's he's my kid. You know, he's not like Emily. He's not going to abandon us. He's going to play with us. Um, you know, they're kind of turned around, you know, and they're like, yeah, OK, let's do that. And of course, the prospector, you know, turns out is evil. Um, he was the one who turned the TV on the previous night. Um, and he is, he's the one who, he, I, I like that he's got like his, um, the, um, what is it, the pickaxe, and he uses that to kind of seal the great shut so that they can't get out. Um, and what I, what I find quite funny is that when they were watching the TV show, obviously he's Stinky Pete the Prospector, and his character is basically spending all of his time like passing gas and doing, like be just being like uh, stupid. Whereas obviously it is voiced by Kelsey Grammer. Um, and you know he brings a level of gravitas to the character that the character mm -hmm. does not really have and so i kind of like the contrast between you know this kind of upper class i mean it, you know it's it's a classic thing where you have this person who speaks like kind of in a very posh upper class accent but the character he's playing is this kind of doofus um and obviously you know he kind of is embarrassed by that character um because he obviously feels that is not him um although you know obviously that is him he's that that's who he is but he's denying that uh, just because he sounds mm -hmm. yeah. like Kelsey Grammer, um, <laughs> who also notoriously right wing, terrible person. So I don't know, we're just having no luck in terms of people in this film who are terrible. Um, and so, you know, with this resolved, Al returns because he's going to pack up everything and he's going to send it off to Japan. And, um, you know, that he puts the toys in the box um, in, in the packing crate, uh, ready to go. And, um, as the rest of the toys are ready to kind of go in the elevator and go down, um, Zerg appears. Um, and <laughs> I like how, of course, Zerg thinks he is real and uh, Buzz thinks he is real. So both of them kind of engage in a battle that they both think is real. Um, and I just I kind of like that, that these toys are operating on the level of like toys like they everything they're doing is kind of silly, but they both think it's real. So they both kind of think that they're in pain and stuff when they're obviously not like they're just toys um and yeah so for the toys it's definitely nature over nurture yeah <laughs> because yes. they're just being they're just being like brought up you know potentially from the moment they are made they know their backstory yes and what i love here is obviously i mean it, you know it's the most obvious kind of like reference in the entire of the film um but when when you know a buzz you know, New Buzz says to Zerg, you murdered my father. And Zerg goes, no, I am your father. Um, and then <laughs> we, we have we see him kind of cry to the heavens. And then Rex kind of comes over and accidentally knocks Zerg off the, off the elevator. And I love that kind of like, obviously, um, Rex has been trying to defeat Zerg. So the fact that he just does it here casually by like knocking him off with his tail is kind of funny. Um, it's a bit of a like anti-climax. Um, and as we get to the end, as we get to the kind of the, you know, the um, the start of the climax here, um, Al is driving off and the toys follow in a Pizza Planet truck that they spot. Um, and they don't know how to drive, but Buzz instructs them, <laughs> the, our Buzz, should I say, who is now caught up with the, with the rest of the toys um, on how to drive. 
but before they drive off, they ask if, um, you know, uh, the new Buzz wants to join them. And we see that he is playing catch with his father. And I like that that is the payoff to the joke. Like, the joke isn't mm-hmm. that it's a yeah. reference to Star Wars. It's that there are father and son who are going to play catch together. And that's the... Like, these two they're, toys. They're going to resolve. Yeah. And I just... I love that that, that kind of joke is, is kind of done so quickly. Because it's like... Otherwise, this could turn into a thing. But otherwise, it's just... You know, it's just a joke so that they can do a, a joke where they're, they're kind of doing uh, some catch with each other. Um, and of course, this is where we get to. I mean, I wouldn't say that this is as impressive as the cone stuff, but the driving is quite funny. Um, in mm-hmm. particular, where yes. they don't know left from right and <laughs> they're not they're like not that left, the other left. Um, and he even says left is right and right is left <laughs> in terms of giving the instructions. Um, <laughs> it does raise the, the question of exactly how heavy are these toys um, that they are able to put enough pressure on an accelerator. Um, and they're able to steer, but you know it's it's a fun gag because uh, they just need to keep up with Al until he gets to the the airport. And of course, as they park up in the airport, I think it's is it Rex who says we can't park here. This is a red zone. <laughs> Which, yeah, I just I I mean <laughs> all they're gonna do is just, abandon just them. leaving something in their wake again. <laughs> yeah, and the whole white the whole the whole white zone airplane thing did just make me think of airplane yeah that we heard on the speaker in the background i don't know if having never actually been to an airport that, that might just be my own frame of mind but i was like oh airplane. i think it is i think it is meant to be an airplane reference as well i think they, they're just throwing that in there quickly um but yeah so they they get into a uh, pet carrier uh which uh, a child tries to approach and slinky dog does some barking <laughs> to get the kid to go away which I thought was quite funny. Uh, I love that he just says bark, bark, bark. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's all That's all it needs to be. Yeah, just needs to be loud enough to get the kid away. Um, at this point, Al is being pretty obnoxious, where he's saying to the person behind the desk that, you know, they've got to be careful with that bag because it is worth more than he makes in an entire year. Um, it's worth saying as well that when Al finally got the call through from the Japanese buyer, he decided to add a zero to this uh, deal. So I don't know how much they are paying, but it's going to be a lot of money. I was uh, thinking about this uh, on this viewing. I was wondering, yeah. it's like, yeah, how much how much difference is it? Like, is it from $100 to $1,000? Is it something actually really mundane? And Al's just really excited about it. But also, is that for... The entire collection, or just the toys? Because it seems like He's Al left the, all of the, he left all the toys, merch. all the merchandise. No, wait, wait, wait. wait. He packed it up. He was shipping it. Yeah, no, oh, he yeah, shipping the whole lot. That was in, that was that in the part. shipping boxes. He's just taking the toys yeah. in the in the suitcase. Yeah, so it, it is the whole collection. I don't know. I thought he was going from like um, like a thousand to like ten thousand, something like that. I thought that's what the difference was. Mm-hmm. When he added right, the zero. It, it, it could be something like that where it's yeah. it's a, a, a thousand to ten thousand, like seven thousand to seventy thousand. I mean, if it's if it's like everything, if it's like the poster and like the little game where you knock the teeth out and the snake in the boot and mm-hmm. all, all that kind of stuff, if it's it's all that plus the four figures, and I'm guessing all the VHSs of all the the episodes or whatever, then yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's a pretty extensive collection. Then it, yeah, yeah, it's got to be in the tens of thousands for a museum. That's, yeah, that's for what like I'm the, thinking. The Japanese toy museum, I'd expect tens of thousands. Anyway. Yeah, 
Yeah, which is which obviously later on we'll see that's probably why he's extremely sad. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> so we then get probably the kind of one of the you know more amazing kind of technical scenes when we find out how all the baggages get onto the baggage carousels, and it is a gigantic, huge mess of bags on um, conveyor belts going in all kinds of directions. Um, and there seem to be two bags that might be um, the one which um, Woody is in. And so they split up and, of course, uh, Buzz goes by himself and, and finds the correct case while the rest of the, the guys find a uh, camera, uh, which will come in handy in a second. Um, because as Buzz opens the case, he is punched by the prospector, um, who is, you know, determined to, um, you know, get, get them a, to that museum. Yeah, he does not want to in any way, um, you know, kind of go back to, to being put in storage. Um, and so they kind of fight um, and then the rest of the guys turn up with the camera equipment and flash him in the eyes and then uh, uh, Prospector Pete gets a fate worse than death as he is thrown into a young girl's backpack which goes out into the carousel and is picked up by her and he's in there with a Barbie who turns ahead and says that their new owner is an artist uh, as we see that her her kind of hair has been uh, cut, cut into and um, her face has been covered in graffiti, um, so yeah. I mean, I I thought I kind of find it funny that that is like where like Prospector Pete could have been thrown over the edge of the carousel, or like there could have been another fate for him. Yeah. But I, f I find it funny that basically this little girl doesn't question the fact that her bag has come back with a new toy. Yeah, and with with the Prospector, the one thing that annoys me because of how much I like Toy Story two and. I've had the debate with way too many times about which Toy Story film is better, and but I, but I've always felt like the Lotso in number three is a rehash in many ways of the Prospector. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know because yeah. Jesse Jesse's also kind of insistent that they also don't go back into storage and that they go to the museum as well. So she's kind of on the Prospector's side um, until she isn't. Until Woody's like, why don't you but, just? Come but not on board with his methods. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, I mean, you know, again, we get a, I mean, I would say that once we get to the kind of the rescue on the plane, it's not as good as the carousel. I love all the stuff that's with all the bags going all over the place and stuff. That's like um, very complicated. Um, so, you know, riding on Bullseye, Buzz and Woody uh, try to catch up with the bag, which is now on the uh, the kind of like baggage car um, that carries mm -hmm. all the bags. Um, it is thrown into a plane and um you know, uh, Woody gets in there, you know, and what I like is Woody and Jesse are like about to jump back out when somebody's like, oh, wait there, there's one more case. And the baggage hander guy goes, tough luck, and just closes the door. And <laughs> I, I like for like half a second, we get this moment of like kind of hope where it's like, oh, they might be able to jump out. And then it's like, nope, door is closed. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it's worth saying that the there's a there's a what there's like one line that's delivered by one of these baggage handlers that. Uh, varies in international editions um, in the British version um, it is voiced by Andy Peters um, who is a TV personality over here but in other versions that one line by the baggage handler depending on which country you're in is said by different famous people um, who at the time I knew there was something about the voice actor in that scene I couldn't remember yeah. what but I was like when that scene came up, I was like, there's something that I know about this that I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, so in other editions... Was there, like, some competition? No, no, it was just that Pixar wanted to... Pixar wanted to do... Pixar wanted film? to do localised versions of that of that one 
line for some reason. I mean, obviously, in the in like the translations and stuff, it, it's different people anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but but in... they'll do they'll do um, you know small adjustments to international versions, like in um, in Inside Out, the gross food that the child doesn't want to eat is different in different countries. Yeah. I mean, if it's something that's just like a, a like a line, like this is just one single line from the baggage handler guy, so it's like, yeah. it's not that hard for them to kind of change it. Um, but yeah, and so this is where um, Woody attempts to, because obviously the TV show he was on was cancelled, and it was cancelled on a big climax where Woody was jumping into the air on Bullseye, and so here he decides to kind of come up with like a finale to it, and he 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 opens up one of the wheel wells. And he decides to throw his cord down and he like as as he's hanging on with Jesse, his arm is once again being broken. And so he says to Jesse, you know, let go and, you know, kind of trust me. And below uh, Bullseye catches up with a plane, a plane going at taxi and speed Bullseye and manages to catch up with. Uh, and then Woody jumps and he lands on the back of Bullseye with Jesse and with Buzz. And the plane takes off and they decide to return home um, because Andy will be back very soon. And um, as Andy returns home, uh, the toys have uh, presented themselves. Um, there's a welcome home Andy on the Etch-A-Sketch. And instantly Andy, of course, accepts Jesse as his own. And he, you know, he doesn't question it. He just says, thanks, mom, for the new toys and just starts playing with them. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of amazing. So in Toy Story 3. Yes. Um, does he refer to Jesse as Jesse? Because at the end of this, he doesn't <laughs> I don't know that he I does. I don't know if because we if, hear if he, Andy refer to does them. Learn, does he? Because if he does he learn her name between the two films, then it is a suggestion that his mom actually told him yeah. or the toy was. Or or the internet was invented and he learned. Yeah. Yeah. By the time you get to 2000, I, the internet is around. I, mean, I guess maybe yeah. Andy's so, not on it at his age, but I'm, I think he'll learn later on. When he's presenting when he's presenting the toys to Bonnie at the end of Toy Story 3, I think he does say it's Jesse and her and her horse, Bullseye. Yeah. And so that makes me think that either like someone told him whether it's his mom or someone else, or he... As, as, as he got older, he learned about the TV series yeah. and, and watched all the old episodes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I just love the fact that Andy's just instantly like, these are my toys. <laughs> like, he doesn't question it at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, which is as Woody had promised. He said, you know, he'll play with you. Like, you just have to kind of come with him. And uh, I like as well that, you know, um, Buzz uh, <laughs> has some kind of crush on Jesse. Um as he kind of tries to say that she's got a nice head of hair, but he ends up kind of muddling things up. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, the dog needs to go out to pee. And so Jessie jumps into action and she uh, skateboards on a car and grabs onto the door and lets the dog out. Um, Obviously showing that, you know, she is part of the, uh, part of Andy's playroom now. Uh, Of course, Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head have adopted some aliens, uh, which I should mention, you know, they were they were in the uh, Pizza Planet truck uh, as like, I don't know, like kind of fuzzy dice. They were just kind of hanging it off the uh, thing and they they fell off and uh, they were eternally grateful for Mr. Potato Head for rescuing them. Um, Wheezy has been fixed. Uh, You know, he's 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 now um, back to new and he's feeling so good that he decides to sing. And he sings in the voice of Robert Goulet. 
um, who I only know because of his appearance in Scrooged and his appearance on The Simpsons. <laughs> that is all I know about Robert Goulet, um, who I think recently died. So um, if he hasn't, then I will cut this out. But I think he recently died. Um, so, yeah, uh, Robert Goulet sings um, You've Got a Friend in Me. Uh, we go to the outtakes, which at this point were part of uh, Pixar's appeal. Uh, this was the thing that people, you know, hung around for. Uh, it finishes, of course, with Barbie telling everybody, you can go. Um, and she, <laughs> she wants to stop smiling <laughs> and being happy. And she just wants people to go and leave the cinema. I don't think I had outtakes. Okay. Really? Really? Who has stolen the outtakes from I'm you? I'm going to have to double check, but I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, if you had them, I think you'd remember them. There is, there is of course, a, ca- a callback yeah. to Bugs Life. Uh, where we see mm-hmm. uh, Flick and Heimlich, and they're talking about how they're in a sequel, but it's not A Bug's Life 2. And then, of course, the toys kind of walk past, and the toys are gigantic compared to these bugs. Uh, mm-hmm. They just kind of break away the uh, the foliage and get through them. Um, fun or not so fun fact, I only saw the bo- A Bug's Life for the first time, like, end of last year. Um, in my sociology class, okay. they were like, here, have an easy lesson. We'll talk about the bourgeoisie and watch the bug's life <laughs> it's all right the first time i saw bug's life was on our honeymoon five years ago so yeah well i mean uh, a bug's life is generally seen as like kind of the one of the lesser pixar films but on the pixar campus i, I ev- love it on the pixar campus every single year they have a screening of a bug's life and everybody on the staff gets the day off so they can watch it because they love that film <laughs> and because you know, I like, I absolutely love it. It's it it's in my top five probably for Pixar. Films oh yeah, personally. no, it's it's a great film. I mean, I wouldn't have seen it twice at the cinema if it wasn't a good film. You know, I I well I really and and it's it. like and it's such a good like mashup of things like Three Amigos and Seven Samurai and Galaxy Quest kind of stuff. Um, unfortunately, one of the people who was in it uh, very problematic. So <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't yeah, know. yeah. So, but aside from that, the rest of the film is really good. Um, and apparently it's one of the things that um, Dave Foley, who did the voice of Flick, obviously one of the kids in the hall, um, when he had some issues with his divorce, it was one of the things that his wife tried to get was like half of his uh, money from a bug's life. <laughs> his bug's life. <laughs> yeah, his bug's um, life residuals. Residuals. Uh, yeah. And apparently, I don't know. There's a, there's a, Dave Foley's divorce is insane because he like had to go on the run. Um, and I don't know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff, like he couldn't go into Canada for like six years. It was kind of crazy. Um, yes. I, I, I would urge the, the listeners to look up stuff about Dave Foley's divorce. Um, but yeah, uh, interestingly enough, this film was distributed by Buena Vista, um, officially and not Walt Disney. Uh, but yeah, obviously that is something that will change because, uh, pretty soon Pixar will be owned by Disney. Uh, certainly by the time we discuss the next Pixar film. But before we do that, we have to give our judgments for this film. And I feel like it's it's going to be an easy one for everyone. Uh, the mm, rating on yeah. this podcast yeah. is T-Hanks or no T-Hanks. Uh, and I'm going, to go, I'm going to go to Luke first for his judgment. Very T-Hanks. Uh, as much as T-Hanks for letting me revisit this beautiful film as well. And so, yeah, Andrew and Kestra? I really loved it. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I agree. So so that's a T-Hanks from both of us. Yes. Yeah. And I would say, obviously, a T-Hanks from me. I mean, you know, we are in what I have termed the Golden 14. And at this particular point, Tom Hanks could do almost no wrong. Like, every film was either a huge box office success or critically acclaimed or both. Or he won an Oscar for mm-hmm. it. 
Um, so, you know, he was just he was just doing great film after great film. And I, I, you know, obviously all of the production stuff is kind of interesting, but I think it still just ended up making this film like a better film. Um, you know, I think if they'd have had years to do this, they might have flattened some of the things out or they might have changed some of the things. But I think with such a short production time, they were basically like, does this feel right? You know, is this a good story point? Yeah. Well, then let's keep going. Like, you know, we, we've got to yeah. start rendering all this, you know, the first 20 minutes of the film. We can't we can't hang around and keep rewriting it and rewriting it and rewriting it. Um, you know, we've just got to keep going. Um, you know, there are some pretty, Pixar, pretty Pixar. phenomenal with the tight schedule. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, and not yet, but the animation is still amazing. Like even 20 years later, you look at it and you're like, it's just yeah, it's it's kind of mind blowing. Yeah, it's really solid. Yeah. And great. Beautiful. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, I feel it's just one of those films that, every, you know, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Toy Story 2, <laughs> you know, like it, I mean, it does raise these these kind of metaphysical questions of like, you know, the the plastic being alive, so that you know, from now until the end, you know, plastic takes hundreds of years to decay. So obviously, those toys, once they've been abandoned in a landfill, they're just going to be lying there, slowly decaying, um, still alive. Um, you know, so it brings up those types of questions, but also at the same time, you know, a couple of sad songs, and uh, you know, really, it feels to me like the film is more. Uh, Jesse's story than anybody else's really than like Woody's like mm-hmm. obviously Woody finds out his backstory um, but for Jesse it's about you know a toy who was abandoned uh, literally on the roadside who is then kind of you know um, shown that you know she can she can be a toy once more um, you know and then obviously she enthusiastically embraces that by the end um, and you know it's just it's just nice and obviously Joan, Joan Cusack is a great addition to the franchise you know she just you know, knocks it out of the park in terms of like the stuff that she's doing with the character. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Andy did, however, in the film lose some of his savings. Yes, he did. His, oh uh, yeah. Money fell out of hands. <laughs> so he may realise that when he comes to buy his next big toy. I... Now less than five dollars in change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean I feel that Andy's the kind of kid who, you know, just wouldn't notice that if he lost some money, you know, I think he's have you seen how many toys he's, he's got? not He's not counting the piggy bank very often. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's got he's got tons of toys. Um, you know, considering that she is a single mother, she's she's making mm. a lot of money from something, um, you know, to be able to afford all those toys. Maybe she works in a discount toy store. Maybe. Maybe she works in Al's toy barn and she'll get there on Monday morning <laughs> and then Al <laughs> will be like, I'm sorry, but unfortunately... He dropped all the... these bouncy balls. <laughs> yeah. He'll say, due, due to the fact that um, I wasn't able to make this sale, unfortunately, you are fired. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny as well. We didn't mention it, but there is like a little ad at the end where Al is extremely sad because he's... He, obviously, he's, he didn't... The sale didn't go through. Um, although I would argue that, you know, given that he sent them through the airline, he could probably get some insurance. He probably could get some payback for, you know. You think Al paid for insurance on that? I mean, he paid for the rush delivery. So, I mean, if I was him and it's, it's worth, you know, probably five figures, what's, what's like a couple of hundred dollars? He certainly should have paid for the insurance on that. And we say, we, we guess from his demeanor, he did not. Um, but yeah. So I feel like we said about as much as anyone can say about Toy Story 2. (laughs) Um, so this is the time where we go to plug so I'm going to start with uh, Andrew and Kestra first if there's anything that you wish to plug either individually or as a couple Um, primarily it would be our our couple um, work we together host a podcast called Disney Animation Minute Essentials where we break down Disney movies one minute at a time Um, by the time this is releasing we should be uh, if not 
actively releasing close to releasing episodes for 101 Dalmatians, one minute at a time. We've already covered Snow White and and Little Mermaid, and so now we're going back to the 1961 101 Dalmatians, and so we're looking forward to that. Well, I, I will be midway through editing Regista Clear, which is my biggest project ever. It's a comedy short film starring many people, including um, Ewan McIntosh, who was Keith in The Office, Simon Fisher-Becker from Doctor Who, Alex McQueen from The Inbetweeners, and a load of other great people. Um, it probably won't be out by now, but I may have like a release date or something lined up by then, so I guess... Go follow me on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero. I made that Twitter when I was like 12 and can't bother to change it. I got it on 500 <laughs> business cards. So follow at llama underscore bottle zero on Twitter and I may have some information or just search for Luke Allen on IMDb um, and all of my films and podcasts and all that should be there. And if you wish to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at the extremely awkward T underscore FT memory. Um, and I'd just like to thank everyone for being my guests here today. Thank we you are for glad. having us. Yeah, we're glad that we were able to join you. And, uh, you know, I would say that this film was an easy journey, but the next time we're going to be walking down the green line. We stick together, we can see it through, because you've got a friend in me. Some other folks might be a little bit smarter than I am Bigger and stronger too, maybe But none of them will ever love you The way I do, just me and you, babe And as the years go by Our friendship will never die You're gonna see it's our destiny You've got a friend in me You've got a friend in me